I V M. Welcome to Paisa Paisa. I'm your host Anupam Gupta B50 on Twitter, and today we are going to delve deep into biases and blind spots. Okay, now give me some time. I don't usually start uh, the episode with some kind of monologue, but just give me some time here yeah, because I need to give you guys a bit of background before I introduce the guest. Okay, so here we go. Now, in 2002, Princeton University psychologist Daniel Kahneman won the Nobel Prize for his groundbreaking work in applying. psychological insights to economic theory particularly in areas of judgment and decision making under uncertainty if that sounds a little bit too technical for you guys he cracked away on how our brain thinks when we make decisions so back in the 1970s kahneman and his collaborator amos tversky did massive work a huge work groundbreaking work in psychology of prediction and probability judgment if you want to read their original paper just google kahneman and tversky paper and you'll get a bunch of stuff my personal favorite the one i really like and i suggest you go for that is their 1974 article on uh, for science magazine it, it was titled judgment under uncertainty heuristics and biases heuristics is nothing but shortcut so that paper talked about three biases or shortcuts that our mind and our brain make when they make decisions shortcut number 1 representativeness shortcut number 2 availability Shortcut number three, anchoring. If you want to read more as bonus material, I suggest you read Michael Lewis's book on these two masters, on Kahneman and Tversky. It's called the Undoing Project. Hoping it gets made into a movie someday. Why is all this important? This entire background that I that I've given. Hear me on, okay? So just give me a bit. So a few months ago, Harsha from this company called Syntonic reached out to me with this online questionnaire to gauge, to measure, to get an idea of my mental makeup. from the perspective of financial planning okay were detailed questionnaire took me easily i think easily 10 to 15 minutes to crack it what are the result the financial behavioral personality report that was really detailed it's called 3b okay for biases behaviors and blind spots and then the report in the end gives me a risk score a standard risk score and a dynamic risk range summarize whatever i've told you so far here's the thing our mental makeup and how we look at risk is really important to our investment decisions and that's why our financial planning needs to take this into account instead of simply putting everything into an excel file and plugging all the data in and that's where our guest today and our topic comes in to discuss all of this and why it's important to you listeners i have with me prasad ramani founder and chief behavioral officer at stentonic Prasad, sorry about that. I just had to give this background. Welcome to Paisa Paisa. Thank you so much for doing this for us. Go for it. Tell us about yourself and how you got into behavioral finance. Anubham, thank you very much for having me on your show. It's it's great to be with you, and I think you did a wonderful job of giving a very very succinct, very very easily understandable uh, introduction to uh, to behavioral finance. Uh, so my background, uh, as you probably already know, and we already discussed, is has been in quantitative finance for the last like twenty two years. and and i basically worked on all kinds of like quantitative stuff like you know portfolio optimization you know uh, risk management modeling and all these things now the interesting thing about quantitative finance is it tries to remove emotions and biases out of decision making right and and 5 6 years back i got into behavioral finance which is like you know switching from one end of the spectrum to the other end of the spectrum where you start taking into account the emotions and the biases and all the behaviors because I realized that end of the day, 
it doesn't matter what kind of like you know excel sheets you have it doesn't matter what kind of like mathematical modeling you have what kind of data you have if you have a person making a decision then all kinds of psychological factors are involved and this is what is extremely key to become a good investor okay prasad fascinating right because so far whatever i have discussed with a lot of people here on my show for financial planning and the discussions that i have even outside the podcast usually just involve someone coming to me or me talking to someone and him plugging all these numbers into excel and saying okay you're 25 years old you've got 35 years to work this yeah. is this is your retirement goal boom that's it and the excel file gives you everything yeah i i'll i'll give you a couple of examples here right to kind of like, uh, you know to kind of dig a little deeper into this hmm. now when it comes to money management right there are two aspects one you have the institutional side you know which is financial advisors and managers and all those people right and then you have the retail side which is like you know the end the uh, the end investors who are people on the street you know the lay people or or professionals right yep. now Uh, this was about like 6 or 7 years ago right so my wife basically she was a working professional you know she's a very smart woman she you know she has an mba and all that stuff and pretty financially sophisticated too but what was happening was she would basically take her salary and just put it into her you know uh, savings account and she wouldn't mm-hmm. do anything with it right and and so i was here like you know like her like her husband who's who's a money manager with a global family office i was co-managing about 1.4 billion dollars and i used to keep giving her tips and techniques on what to manage and how to manage and you know what portfolios to invest in and she would never really hear listen to me you know hear to me like she would say that i'll take care of it myself i don't want to do anything with the money i just want to keep it safe right okay. the funny part was her relationship manager from the bank who was a financial advisor would keep calling her you know once a month to just tell her hey you have all this money sitting in your account doing nothing why don't we talk about it why don't we do some financial planning you have x you know dollars or x whatever rupees sitting in the account and it's just going waste now she didn't like the way he was approaching the conversation right because from her perspective she was like you don't know me don't talk about money you know they get go i don't like to discuss money with strangers who are you i don't know you so that's one thing right yeah and and the second thing was with me even though i was telling her to do all this stuff she was not listening to me and obviously you know like a, a typical husband and wife we were like you know trying to like figure this out then one day i realized that you know when we were talking about all these different things and i was doing a lot of research on behavioral finance and this was about 6 years back when i had not even started syntonic i realized that her father had lost a lot of money in the stock market scam of harshad mehta right and mm. so her childhood she went through pretty you know pretty difficult financial time period when you know things were not easy at home so in her mind she had got an anchor to you know investing means risk risk means stock market stock market means you end up losing money so mm-hmm. that anchor and that was a strong psychological anchor because of which she couldn't move out of it yeah. that was fascinating because when i was doing a money management myself i found that as a institutional manager we were making a lot of silly mistakes you know and when i started like looking deeper into it i found that either we were being overconfident or we were getting stuck to our positions we were doubling down on our bets at that time i didn't realize that you know behavioral finance had already done a lot of research on these topics but once i started reading academic papers i realized that there are about 140 recognized biases and behaviors in the academic world 100 is a lot right that's a lot yeah 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 exactly. but like you rightly said there are some foundational 
you know, biases and foundational behaviors like the one that Kahneman proposed and Kursky proposed and a bunch of other fantastic researchers have proposed. So what I did was I decided to like do a lot of research into this, you know, these different topics and identify these foundational factors and try to see how we can help people become aware of them and so get better at financial decision making. Understood. You've just given me the lead into the next question, right? Let's take this from you and your wife to what you see as problem beyond that. So I want you to tell us where you see the current problem and what are the reasons behind that? Why is why is it that way? Whether it's yeah. financial planning or the way that the institutional sector looks at the retail sector for money, financial planning, selling products, whether it's investment or it's... Mm-hmm. Let's go into that. Yeah, absolutely. I think the biggest problem that nobody is really addressing directly, at least, uh, you know, currently, is that investing involves a lot of psychology. There's a lot of behavioral factors that go behind, you know, why people invest the way they invest, why they think the way they think. Yeah. And unfortunately, what's happening is, you know, lay people or, or, or investors, they're not really aware of the subconscious factors that go into decision making. And because they themselves don't know what the subconscious factors are, Financial planners, financial advisors, money managers are not able to help them properly because they also don't know what, what what's the psychology behind investing. You know, where are my clients getting stuck? And and because the advisors and clients are not on the same page in terms of the psychology, it's easy to make mistakes given the fact that there's a lot of like trading apps there. There's a lot of like you know, easy ways of investing now. It doesn't mean that investing is easy or investing is simple. Investing is actually a pretty complicated topic and you have to approach it in the right way and because of of our ignorance of the underlying psychological and behavioral factors we end up making mistakes which can be very very costly for us that's the key problem and nobody's talking about it yeah you're right nobody's talking i mean this this is uh, in a way the first time that we are discussing this from a behavioral angle bias angle blind spot angle like you've just you know like like i read in one of our interviews that you had given. So, yeah. tell me what's missing, Prasad. What, so, sure. what are the two or three issues that you find are missing out there? I mean, I'm, I'm discussing this so that, you know, once you answer this and we go into a break on the other side, we'll fill in that gap and tell our listeners how Syntonic fills that. Tell us. Absolutely, absolutely. Look, we let's just take, just take a step back, right? Let's figure out what is happening and how our brains make decisions, right? Hmm. Imagine, imagine like 5,000 years ago, right? Our ancestors were you know, they're hunting in the forest and, you know, they're faced with like, I don't know, lion or tiger or something, right? Now, if they stop to think about, you know, what's the velocity at which this animal is going to run at me? What's my acceleration got to be? At what projectile should I I throw my spear or, you know, what should I do? They would be eaten up, right? So they have to, they have to make a very, very, very quick decision, which is fight or flight. Either you fight or you just run away, right? Hmm. Our brain is actually, you know, from an evolutionary psychology perspective, it is still 5,000 years old in the sense that it it takes a lot of years for the brain to like, you know, rewire itself, right? So in that sense, even today, we are not, our brains are not fit for a world where there is too much of data. I'll give you a simple example. Uh, You know, just ask me, just answer this. Uh, Let's, how many like, for example, you know, shirts and pants and suits do you have? Like, you know, 15, 20, 30? Right? <laughs> Not that much, but let's just put it at 10. All right, 10. Okay, excellent. Yeah. And let's, you know, let's count all the other pieces of, you know, accessories like your belt, your socks, your shoes, yeah. your 
high and everything. So that's another like 10, 15, right? So let's call it like yeah. 25, 30 overall. And this is another, yeah, right? Now, mm. if your brain were to like process every single permutation and combination of what you can wear, right? It will take you like probably like 12 hours to decide what to wear. <laughs> but our brains are really, really smart. They're very sophisticated, right? They make very quick decisions, right? In like 30 seconds, you say, I want to wear this, I want to do this, whatever, right? In fact, if you look at like, for example, Steve Jobs and, and Mark Zuckerberg, they pretty much wear the same dress every single day yep. uh, or they used to because they don't want to spend the time making the decision of, you know, of what to wear. Now, this is called decision fatigue, right? But anyways, the point is our brains are fabulous at processing information. Our brains can, can basically arrive at very quick decisions, right? But there's also a small problem here. And that is when you provide a lot of financial information to somebody, and when I'm looking at the financial world, I'm looking at the newspaper, I'm looking at the, uh, you know, the financial uh, channel news, I'm reading blogs. There's so much of data that my brain cannot process all this stuff properly. So I, I take shortcuts, right? And I take, and these shortcuts are without my own knowledge, without my own awareness. And so a lot of times I see something and I kind of like, I don't do, I don't even know why I'm doing this on my portfolio. It just seems very natural and seems very logical to me, but probably I'm getting anchored. Probably I'm seeing patterns where none exist. Probably I'm doubling down on my bets unnecessarily or, you know, when it's not required. So all the psychological factors, which are below the layer of our awareness in influences our decision making. Right. Mm. And this is because, you know, there are like two, three concepts. One is something called bounded rationality, which is we are all logical people, but only to a certain extent. And why is that? Because we don't have all the time in the world to analyze every piece of information. Okay. Mm. So, so we have to take quick decisions. And when we take quick decisions, we end up taking shortcuts. And if those shortcuts are something that we are not aware of, then we could end up making mistakes. So it's extremely important to understand what are those factors, you know, like, for example, like you rightly suggested, you know, representativeness, anchoring, what are those factors that really influences our financial decision-making? And once you become aware of those factors, you can get better at making decisions. Okay, Prasad, I need to ask you one thing, because so far, you know, in this first part of the episode, we've spoken a lot about concepts, 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 and logical stuff. Can you tell me real-life examples? How does this manifest? You know, I shared with you my stuff also, in the sense that... Sure, yeah. Say that if I'm someone who, uh, let's say that uh, if I thought that Reliance's rights issue price at 1200 was too expensive or looked optically very large, 1200, mm-hmm. that's somehow gone into mm-hmm. money. Sure. Then I will not buy at that point of time. And then I just ignore it. And throughout that, instead of actually looking at the fundamentals, the valuations, my mind is actually getting distracted somewhere else. Okay. So that's one example yeah. I can think of for me. Personally, just sharing this with you. Second, oh, good lord, yeah. version, loss aversion. Oh, that's a yeah. big one for me. Okay. Yeah. Now I let you do the explaining out here. Whether it's your own examples or you've had people come to you or you see in the industry, tell us how this manifests exactly. Yeah. To make it go on. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, excellent. So sometimes what ends up happening is, you know, clients come to advisors, right? And they're looking at their portfolios or they're talking about, you know, where to, you know, plan and how to like invest and stuff like that. And the client says, you know, uh, you know, my uncle made like 15% year on year on, you know, on, on, on this equity markets or whatever, right? So I, I like to, I like to basically, you know, make 15% returns too. 
and the advisor is fine. Yeah, let's, you know, we can do that, you know, but the volatility is going to be high. And so what's the volatility going to be? It's probably going to be like 20% or 21% and stuff like that. Now, mm-hmm. when you're talking about numbers like this, right? Now, volatility of 20, 21% doesn't seem big to a client. You know, they're thinking, you know, if I get 15% return, you know, volatility is 5% more, that's okay. But the biggest problem here is that volatility results in drawdowns, you know, like, so suddenly the market is down by 30% or, you know, 25, 27%. It's fallen in like seven, eight days or something. Mm-hmm. And suddenly the client is shaken up now. No, no, I want to stop my investing, you know, get out, you know, let's, you know, let, this is too much for me, right? So the point is like two, three things happened here. One, when the client says that my uncle made 15% and I like to make that return, your uncle probably made 15% in a completely different time period. So you got anchored to a different regime, right? Probably now going forward, you probably can't make 15%. You probably can make only 12%, number one. Or your goals are just like, say, five or seven years away, in which means you can't take that much of risk. You need to take a little lower risk, right? So what ends up happening is these are factors that go behind the client's mind and the advisor is not able to like deal with them because the advisor also doesn't know why the client is shifting and how to talk to them about it and how to explain these things to them, right? So, so for, for example, this, there are like these huge firms in the U.S., right? There's a lot of like our, our clients are actually U.S. financial advisors. A lot of these big firms have thousands of advisors and they also have a separate department called litigation risk department mm-hmm. to help advisors fight lawsuits that their clients have filed against them. Yeah. Why? Because of a misunderstanding of what risk is. For a client, risk means something else. For an advisor, risk means something else. And they're not on the same page. And because of which, the, the advisor sometimes, you know, again, if the advisor is like, let's assume, they want to like push some products, right? You know, without really doing a good job, then they can actually use the psychological factors and, and push products that are not right for the clients. So in this sense, it's important for clients to realize, why am I talking about 15%? What does 20% volatility mean? Uh, you know, what is this particular, why am I changing my risk preferences? When the markets go down by 20%, why am I feeling shocked? So these are all actually psychological factors. And, and yeah. these are important things to be discussed. Yeah. From my perspective, loss aversion, like I was telling you, is big. And that's the thing that comes up a lot in conversation with friends also, Prasad, and especially now in this pandemic in the last uh, six months. That Here's the thing. Yeah. You know, the, the horror or the fear or the... Call it whatever you want. The negative emotion that comes from losing, say, uh, 100 rupees is yeah. far, far higher than the satisfaction I have if I've gained 100 rupees. And to my mind, that is probably one of the funniest damn things that the brain does there. I mean, <laughs> exactly, Anubam. You're, you're so spot on. And that is actually one of the uh, key findings from Prospect Theory. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. I, I would go to crazy lengths to avoid losing money without even getting to think how much I would gain if I take a certain decision. I mean, that it's 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 there in so many... I mean, insurance is built around that, man. I mean, the entire yeah. of insurance is built around that. So, folks, that's it on this first part um, of this really special episode of Pesa Vesa. On the other side, when you come back, we're going to talk to you about solutions. We're going to talk to you about what Syntonic does, how they resolve the problem. We're going to talk about the report that these guys did, uh, did on me. <laughs> Massive report that was. So, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. And welcome back to this really special episode of Pesa Vesa where we're talking about biases, blind spots, heuristics, shortcuts and all the kind of behavioral stuff the brain does when it is taking 
decisions in general and also for us decisions in personal finance and in investing in the first half we spoke about all the different kind of stuff that's out there loss aversion prospect theory uh, representative anchoring what not out there. and like i said if you want to know more it's a fascinating topic you should read thinking fast and slow by daniel daniel kahneman prasad now tell us about centonic okay so what do you guys really do go for it great great so um in 2017 uh, i founded centonic because what i found was while there's all this wonderful academic research nobody was you know building products or or was nobody was building models that could actually help with financial planning and so i founded centonic in 2017 i put together a team of like behavioral uh, economists so i have a team of like phd's in social psychology neuroeconomics and behavioral economics and we basically put together models that uh, you know financial advisors can use insurance agents insurance managers can use wealth tech firms can use and 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 the whole idea is to enable the financial services professional whether that's a planner or an advisor and a client to kind of like understand each other uh, and also build behaviorally suitable portfolios so that's that's what we do tell me and tell me yeah how do you resolve the problem what product and who is it meant for i'll just so folks i'll give you some background okay when harsha from centonic contacted me and sent me this link to make my own 3b report now this was i'll actually let prasad talk about it prasad just go sure this is how I, this report is broken down i'll probably add it at some of my view as a user of that report or absolutely uh, go on yeah first of all i'll just i'll just give you a simple example right to kind of like to kind of you know uh, give your listeners an idea as to why this is required now in each of us right there's actually two personalities really you know there's like a thinker personality and a doer personality so for example you know typically when it comes to like end of december we are looking forward to a new year right and then we make up all these resolutions i'm going to go to the gym i'm going to do this i'm going to do that right and and and, and take of think of this example you say that okay next morning i'll wake up at 5 in the morning i'll go for a jog i'll go to the gym of course not now because of corona but anyways so now what happens is when you wake up the next day at 5 in the morning and your alarm goes off what do you do you snooze it and you say you know what let me just sleep in today i'll probably go to the gym from tomorrow onwards right yeah, now, yeah. now that's an experience all of us have now why is that because the one who made the decision about tomorrow or next week is a thinker personality that and the thinker personality is a very smart you know very logical very rational the doer personality is the one that has to do that stuff at that particular moment in time right but the doer personality gets bored it gets dejected it's like yeah i don't want to do this right now i want to just enjoy and so there's a gap between the thinker and the doer which is why you don't end up following following up on your decisions on your good decisions that you have made right so that's one example okay now the second example is uh let's assume that you're kind of like dieting right and and then i ask you in the morning at like say 9 in the morning hey anupam uh, at 4 o'clock this afternoon you know i would you know i'll give you a snack uh you know will you have an apple or a samosa uh you'll probably say i'll have an apple because that's healthy right yeah. mm-hmm. but at 4 o'clock when i bring those two in front of you you will actually probably pick the samosa right and <laughs> right so this is something called uh, you know stated preference and revealed preference so stated preference is what you say you will do and revealed preference is what you actually do okay 
Now, if you look at a lot of risk tolerance questions, right, or risk tolerance assessments that financial advisors give, they all measure stated preference. What will you do if the markets fall by 25%? What will you do if you get, like, say, additional 10 lakh rupees as bonus? What will you do with this? What will you do? So it's all asking you something in the future today when you are, like, you know, calm and cool and collected and everything is fine, right? And so you will say if the markets falls by 25% and if the valuations are good, I'll put in more money, you know? That's the right answer. But... When it actually happens, you probably won't do that. You're very stressed out, right? Yeah. So what we did was we said, okay, let's build a questionnaire that not only just looks at stated preferences, which is like, what will you do with this? What will you do with that? But we'll also understand your revealed preferences. Revealed preference is what you actually do when things happen. And so we then figured out out of these 140 biases, what were those five or six or seven key biases and behaviors that can help us understand your revealed preference. And so almost like, you know, even before you do that, we know that you'll probably do that. And so that's how the My3B assessment was built. And bear in mind, My3B is just one thing that we do. We have like actually a bunch of other products that we also do that look at like deep client engagement, behavioral portfolio management, and, and a bunch of other things, right? So, so that's how it's built. It's to basically make sure that the advisor and the client understand what these behavioral aspects and the psychological factors are, uh, you know, when it comes to financial decision making and how to discuss that about, about those important factors today when everything is good and clear rather than do it when the markets are going crazy. Fantastic. Walk us through the sections, okay, because there is biases yes. behavior and, and, and blind spots and then there is a risk code. So tell us. Uh, yeah, fantastic. Tell us. Yeah, tell us. Tell our listeners about each, the biases, the behaviors, the blind spots, and the risk score. Excellent. Okay. So biases, we, we came up with biases, behaviors, and blind spots because that is how we make decisions. Biases are our subconscious factors that influences our thinking. So we identified three key biases, overconfidence, representativeness, and anchoring. These are three key biases that are below the layer of our conscious awareness that makes us think in a particular way, okay? Now, the next layer, after subconscious comes the conscious mind, right? So in the conscious mind, there are two key factors that enable us to like, you know, make some choices. One is loss aversion, and, and the other is to make sure that what our, what our future orientation is. And I'll, I'll give you an example. Sure. So future orientation is a very, very interesting factor, which I'm sure you'll have read from Kahneman too. The funny uh, funny fact is, uh, the Anupam of five years from now is a stranger to Anupam as much as I am. Okay, so just think about this for a second. So your future self, Anupam, is a stranger to you as much as I am, which means, let's assume for a sec, right, that if you eat today like, you know, samosas and pastries and I get fat, you know, not you, uh, then would you do it? Uh, you'll probably, you're a nice guy, you probably won't, but I will do it. So if, if I, you know, if I eat samosas and pastries and Anupam gets fat, hmm. I will probably say, you know what, chalega yaar. I mean, Anupam is like, you know, in pretty good shape, so it's okay, right? Okay. Now, that is what we do with ourselves. We make poor decisions today because the Prasad of five years from now is a stranger to me. I don't know him, right? And And this is called future orientation. Different people have different connectedness to their future selves. The more connected you are, the better decisions you take because you are worried about the future. The less connected you are, 
then you are very present focused. You just make decisions for today. So we measure these two things. Loss aversion, like you rightly said, which is the 100 rupees losing is more painful than 100 rupees gain and future orientation. These two are critical factors when it comes to how you make financial decisions, right? Okay. And the third one is blind spots. Blind spots are things that really, that we don't know, that we don't know, right? So for example, there are two things that we call, one is situational belief and one is financial mastery. So situational belief is where you have a very rosy view of your financial future. You think everything is going to be fine in the, you know, in the future. But yeah. that's probably not the right thing, you know, given your circumstances today. And then financial mastery, obviously, is a very simple fact. It's just like, do you understand all the intricacies of, of finance? So these are seven important factors, right? And now what we do is we measure the seven factors and then we plug it into your risk score. So what we do is we come up with two scores. One is called a standard risk score, which most financial assessment would measure. But yeah. we have something called a dynamic range around it. Okay. I'll give you an example here. Let's assume that your standard risk score is 70 and mine is 72. Okay. Mm -hmm. mm. Most financial advisory firms will build us the same portfolio because it's the same score. Correct. But let us assume that my dynamic risk range is 50 to 70 and yours is 70 to 90. So what it means is, for whatever reason, today you are at the lower end of your risk range and I'm at the highest end of my risk range. So mm -hmm. in the future, I might actually reduce my risk while you might increase your risk. So we both need to have different portfolios. So our portfolios have to, to, have to, have to take care of, your, of our behavioral attitudes also. And once the financial advisor, you know, once they have this information, right, then they can talk to the client and then say, you know what? While your risk score is 70, your range is 70 to 90. So let's look at your goals and then figure out what's the right risk that your portfolio should have and build those portfolios accordingly. And, okay. and so these are important conversations. And this is what the Maitri B does. Okay. What kind of questions are there? I remember taking this a while ago. So can yeah. if, you know, just for the sake of curiosity for our listeners, what are the kind of questions that lead you to come up with these conclusions? Yeah, great, great question. Now, a couple of things I'd like to mention here first. One is we use a lot of like gamified questions, right? So, for example, you know, we ask you stuff like um, if, 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 if you had a choice to like either, uh, you know, take, you know, take $500 as, as a payment right now mm. or, or take a bet where there's a 50% chance of winning, uh, you know, $1,200 and a 50% chance of winning nothing. What would you do? So some people will say, I'll take 500 now. Somebody, somebody will say, no, I'll take that 50% chance because I can get a lot more money, right? So those are some types of questions where we try to understand, you know, what is your attitude towards money and time and probabilities? And then and we kind of build on that. Then what we also do is we want to understand, uh, you know, how you think in terms of, you know, for example, anchoring. You know, and this is something that you don't even know. These are all subconscious things. So we kind of ask you stuff like, uh, you know, let's assume that there's a country called, you know, Monteve there's a city called Montevideo. How many like children are born in Montevideo every single day? Is it more than 680 or less than 680, for example? Now, you have obviously no idea what that city is and, you know, how many children are being born there. You can't even Google it. You don't even have that information, right? But... We want to see how far away from 680 your mind comes up with a number, your brain comes up with a number. Is it, some people come up with like 1,500, some people come up with 25, some people say 700. Why? Because 700 is close to 680. That's a number that they have seen. 
So we try to figure all this like different. So our questions are very gamified, but these are all backed by science. There is so much of research behind these questions. We go through like an intense process of principal component analysis, factor analysis to figure out like what kind of questions to ask, what do they measure, do they measure the right things or not. And so there's an intense research process behind this simple, fun questions. Fantastic. So finally, Prasad, wrapping this up, who, you know, what is, so I'm trying to understand how, what kind of clients do you have, you know, so who's yeah. your, uh, where do your clients come from? Because the traditional risk planners, financial advisors or whoever it is, they come to me or when they, or read of them in, in the newspapers, they follow the very standard, probably a 60-40 scheme, 60% debt. Yeah. And uh, equity or that one minus age equation. So they are all very, you know, simple, simple rules. Yeah. Your product goes way beyond that. Who are you selling to? Who are your clients? Give, just give us a sense of that. And can our listeners also actually take this test and figure out for themselves how it works? Well, uh, the, the this is right now, this is an advisor-led solution. Um, okay. So mostly, uh, you know, they have to contact their financial advisors and then we provide the access to them. But, you know, for, you know, uh, what, what we can also do is uh, if they get in touch with me uh, directly, then probably I can uh, I can send them the assessment, uh, you know, by myself. So they can get in touch with me at prasad.ramani at syntonic.com. Uh, and, and uh, you know, I can then shoot out an assessment for them. Um, so to answer your question right about who we target and, and, and who are our clients. We have a lot of clients uh, in the U.S. and Canada and, and the U.K., right? That's our main area. And then we have started to, like, grow uh, clients and, uh, you know, uh, a following actually in India in the last, like, five, six months since Hasha has come on board. Yeah. We, we basically work with, you know, financial advisory firms, wealth tech firms, uh, you know, financial planning, insurance planning services. Wherever there's, there's a financial professional involved or a financial app involved, that serves an end client, we can help. Now, you're absolutely right when you talk about what type of financial advisor or what type of financial app or what type of financial service, you know, take us in and use us, right? Mm. Only those advisors or those firms that are looking for market differentiation that are a little bit ahead in terms of thought leadership uh, that really want to like serve their clients really well. Those are the type of firms that come to us. To be very honest with you, if you look at like say 100 financial advisors in out there, probably 75 may not be very interested in us. I'll be very honest with you. Only sure. 25 would be very interested because those 25 are forward thinkers. They are yeah. people who really want to serve their clients well. They really want to do the right thing. And they want to take that extra step. They want to go that extra mile. And, and they want to really differentiate themselves and their offering from everybody else. So those are the kind of people who come to us. And we have had phenomenal success. That's what I'm going to end this show on, this question that since you mentioned that, exactly on that, can you tell our listeners who, who actually reach out to financial planners, financial ed advisors, what are the kind of questions they should be asking these guys? Okay, this is fantastic. Yeah, to bring an element of what you're seeing into their conversations that can probably help them. See, because when you have an app with you, you can't ask that app to tell me what my bias is. <laughs> but if you are someone who's listening to the show and says, okay, let me just go out and get a financial ad advisor. What are the questions that you think he should be asking? That's a brilliant, brilliant question, Anupam. Thank you so much for asking that. Sure. A lot of like, obviously, investors and clients, 
you know, uh, end up asking, you know, stuff around the fees and, you know, uh, what they charge and all, which is very important because they have to be, the advisors have to be transparent and everything. But the most important thing to ask your advisors is how do you make your decisions? Okay. How do you like build portfolios? And I've, I know, and I've heard that there's a lot of like psychological factors and behavioral factors that can screw up my decision-making process. Mm. How can I be sure that you as an advisor are not susceptible to those factors? How are you making sure that you, you see what I mean? Yeah. How, that is number one. That is very important. That's number good. two, they also have to ask their advisors, how can you help me become a better financial decision maker? What is the value add that you bring to the table? Okay. Why do I, why do I have to work with you rather than work with an app? You know, what is that extra element that you bring to me? Right. Number two, number three, they have to ask them, how do you, how do you look at risk? Because if I look at risk differently from how you look at risk, then we are going to have a problem. How do we, how do we make sure that we look at risk and we are on the same page when it comes to risk? And we are sure that we both agree on certain aspects for the portfolios that you're going to build for me. So these are the kind of questions they should ask because this is what will lead to a long-term engagement. And this way, you know, if your financial advisor is really willing to spend that time with you rather than just take your money and then try to get some fees off you. Fantastic. Prasad, where can our listeners reach out to you? Because, you know, I'm guessing that a lot of it's, you know, there might be a chance that some listeners after this episode, they would say that oh, this is a lot of fundas and a lot of heavy stuff. But I think this is critical, guys. You guys need to understand these concepts before you really implement them and see them in action. It'll, it'll actually help you take better financial decisions. But where can our where can our listeners reach out to you? Or maybe on social media? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, Anupam, I think you made a fantastic point. So I'll just take one minute to answer that, which is all this sounds very complicated. All this sounds very uh, advanced and very kind of like, you know, like a bit, uh, you know, over the head and stuff, which is why we came up with our behavioral models, which will simplify all these things. I, I just want to ask you very quickly, Anupam, when you took the My3B assessment, did you feel it was very complicated? I didn't think it was complicated. I thought it was a whole lot of fun. Eh? Yeah, exactly. Right. So what we do is we have taken a very complicated topic and we have tried to make it fun and accessible and actionable. Right. So that's what we do. Um, your listeners can get in touch with me uh, on LinkedIn. So they just have to like, you know, look for Prasad Ramani, uh, Syntonic, S-Y-N-T-O-N-I-Q. Uh, they can also email me at prasad.ramani at syntonic.com. And any, you know, financial advisory firms, asset management firms, insurance apps, whatever, they can go to our website, www.synthonic.com, and then just fill up the uh, contact us page and then we'll reach out to you. So all these different places you can get in touch with me. Go for it, guys. You know how to contact Prasad and now you know about the product. So go for it. It's a very different perspective, a very interesting perspective on financial planning. I'm sure you'll, you'll, you will find this really interesting. So folks, that is a wrap on this episode. I don't want to call it the Bices and Blind Spot Special, I guess. Yeah, maybe I'll go with Bices and Blind Spot Special with Syntonic, my guest, Prasad Ramani, founder and chief behavioral officer at Syntonic. Prasad, thank you so much for doing this for our listeners. Anupam, thank you so much again for having me. I really hope your uh, listeners found this useful and, and it's been such a delight talking to you. I look forward to meeting you again. Sure. Same here. Listeners, if you like this podcast, don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IBM network. You can listen to us on the IBM podcast app or ibmpodcast.com. You can also follow us on our social media. We are IBM Podcasts on Twitter and Instagram. You want to reach out to me. I'm B50 on Twitter. And thank you for listening to Pesa Vaisa.
No material on the show should be considered as financial advice. The material on the show is for informational purposes only. Please consult a financial advisor before taking any investment decision.